Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. I have to be honest. I want to skip right past this little intro because our guest today on this, the Storm Chaser Improv podcast show is an absolute banger. We got Paul Valancourt, y'all. In this episode of our Artist Brain series, we sat down to pick the brain of one of the goats. For those who don't know, Paul is an amazing improviser who has been at it for over 30 years. His credits and credentials are endless, but they include things like being a member of the legendary improv team Beer Shark Mice. He founded iOS and the Revolution Theater. He authored not one, but two books on improv, The Triangle of the Scene, and Five Things Improvisers Can Do to Stay Creative, Feel Inspired, and Have Fun. He does a show called Man vs. Movie, where he does a one-man improvised movie. And honestly, there's so much more. Paul has improv in his veins, and you can really hear and feel how passionate he is about the craft. We barely got to scratch the surface of this vast well of knowledge, but man, was this interview such a good time. We talk about the importance of remembering the basics, what Paul loves about teaching, and we get nostalgic about the house that Paul helped build, I.O. West. Without further delay, here's Paul Valancourt. You're listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. Hello? Hello. Hey, hey. How's it going? Really good. Yeah. Good. Great. It's going good. Great. You have a nice setup. Do you have like a nice camera on right now? No, it's just like a regular webcam. It does shoot 1080 though, which is really nice. I was really surprised. Yeah. I feel like compared to other people's Zooms, I was like, you look very nice. Yeah. This is a guy who knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> I sold another one. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm curious about your the paintings that are behind your head. Oh, from my the, of my kids. That one is from my son on the top is um, him like blowing uh it's he's young maybe in first or second grade and he's blowing hearts like kisses but it's all like hearts oh it's wow super, super cute and then this one is my daughter when she was in kindergarten and that is a frame that she painted in kindergarten oh wow. so cute yes. i love it i was like i can tell they're cool <laughs> so I, like, I want to know yeah they're, they're very cool they're, uh, we've been very lucky all the schools they've gone to have done really fun cool interesting art projects and stuff and it's been a priority so that's been really nice that's, that's wonderful. awesome tasha don't freak out but a very handsome man just walked in behind you <laughs> and brought me coffee that's pretty nice Guys, I'm living. I'm living the life. Where's my handsome man? Yeah, I'm on my own. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, sure. Thanks for having me. I I really enjoyed Brian's episode, and I listened to like little bits and pieces of some other episodes. It's really fun. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. I mean, you know, not to you know blow too much smoke, but you're kind of a legend. So we're we're pumped <laughs> to have you. <laughs> well, thanks. You caught me right in my sweet spot talking about improv and myself. So there's nothing more fun than that. <laughs> You really caught me. Let's jump right in. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, I, you know, everyone who knows anything about you knows that you are an improviser. Your Instagram is just a bunch of great improv content. You've written two books that I know of. You founded a theater. 
You've got a whole YouTube channel that has like hundreds of episodes. You've made improv a huge part of your life. And so I guess my my first question is, um, why did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A question I ask myself very often. Quick side note, when I was teaching this class, I actually found the two theaters and the second theater is Revolution Theater. When I was teaching class in this little space, I brought my son with me because he was in between and my wife had to pick him up from school and, uh, or from me after school, cause she was working this whole thing. He said, so what's going on? So we were like, sort of stepped into the, into the bathroom before the class. And he's like, so what's going to happen? I was like, well, I'm going to start off by asking if anyone has any questions. He's like, oh, I have a question. I was like, oh, okay. What's, what's your question? He's like, how do you make money at this? And I was like, you're, you're <laughs> yeah. killing me, kid. You're killing me. But, uh, Ultimately, um, I think sort of why have I done that? You know, when I first discovered improv, I was really profoundly affected by it. Like I saw my very first improv show and I was just like blown away. It's like when you see something that's like, oh, snap, that totally makes all the sense in the world to me. And that's kind of what it was for me. It just made tons of sense to me. And I was just like, I love it. I love the free flowing thing of it. I love how you bring your whole self to it. I love that it's sort of, it's never a done deal. And it's like, like a done thing. You're always sort of learning. There's never a time. I've been doing this almost 30 years and I still feel like I'm learning so much all the time. And I think that's really, really great. It's just like something that's a ongoing process. There's never an end to it. You're never done learning. So I feel like if we, when you feel like you're done learning, that's when you start sort of going backwards. Mm. Is there anything in particular that right now you feel like you're learning about or having breakthroughs or working on in improv? Yeah. It's something I learned by like teaching, right? And I'm teaching and I, and I just realized, oh my gosh, the same lessons coming up like again and again. And that's like the universe, like speaking to me, like this is something that I need to learn. So, so lately the thing that that's sort of been coming up a lot in classes and coachings that I've done and stuff is, is just the power of big decisions, like making a big choice and like committing to a big choice and, and how powerful that is. And when you're like jumping over a, a canyon, you can't do it in two small leaps. You got to just take one big leap. And that's kind of where where we are in improv is we can't do it by small leaps, really. We got to make a big leap and then commit to that. You know, there's a hundred sayings like that, like jump and then build a plane on the way down, jump and you'll fly. The Russo brothers who directed, you know, Avengers movies said, you just got to make a decision and then work to make that decision the right one. You know, it's like all these different things all point to this idea of, of the power of decisiveness and making big choices and then getting after it. Gosh, I feel like that's a good life lesson. I feel like I'm coming off a weekend where I was really hesitant and I feel like I wasn't making decisions for myself. And Sunday night, I was just like, ugh. Sunday's a great time to do that and reflect and sort of like set set like an intention for the for for Monday morning, hit the ground running. But yeah, it's a, I mean, I feel like improv is so, I think that's one of the things that I really, on a sort of subconscious level recognized about improv when I first started was this is like life lessons. This is like being a great improviser is like being a great person. There's a meme that someone did of that. And I think it's really, it's really true. I definitely think that it's sort of flavored or colored a lot of the way that I approach life and challenges in life and people in life. It's something that I really try to live by is have fun and make your partner look good. So I always try to do that when I was working in production. I always tried to sort of, I feel like editors are really sort of unsung heroes of at least reality TV where I was working, of reality TV. And so when a producer would say to me, hey, great episode, I'd be like, oh, you really should talk to to Mary. She was the editor. She really murdered it. Like she took stuff that was like, okay, and spun it into really great stuff. So, you know, it's like there's enough credit and good stuff and to go around. So why not share it? Why not spread it around and, and make your partners look good? It doesn't cost anything. And it's... uh 
uh, I think just a good practice. That's a thing that's come up several times as we've been interviewing our favorite people, how it applies to mental health and how it applies to your relationships and how it applies just to, you know, self-care. Like the world would be a better place if everyone was an improviser. Let's just put it, let's just say it. (laughs) Sure. Sure. I mean, I just have one caveat on that. As long as everyone wasn't scrambling for stage time. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I think if people like practice the tenets of improv, like I'm sort of, I'll say it's sort of privately sort of in the background. I'm sort of working on a TED talk about, or an idea for it, hopefully <laughs> idea for a TED talk about how, how the practice of improv is like the practice of, of spirituality of a lot of religions, a lot of sort of common themes exist between improv and these other spiritual disciplines. And I think that that's, I think in that respect, yes, if everyone had sort of that kind of improviser attitude and maybe we're concerned about stage time or where it was going or whatever, I think, yes, the world would be a better place. Yeah. I don't want every text message I receive to be like, Hey, uh, do you got a spot? Or I uh, ever come see my show and be like from your, you know, from your mom and from like sure. everyone in your life is too much. Or your mom um, and your dad, Hey, we're doing yeah. a show Saturday. Can you, can you come by? Oh, dad, I, I'm dad. I'm super. I would watch that a hundred percent. And Natasha, I feel like your mom would be a great improviser. She's hilarious. Uh, and she doesn't know why she's such a clown. It's great. I really liked talking about it in terms of spirituality because in, in a lot of ways it has become the thing that gives me those big life lessons. It's like if I'm in a fight with my partner if you know, or just the somebody who loves you, who knows how to push your buttons, there will be this moment of like, oh, like how quickly can I let go what I thought this, my expectations of how I thought this was supposed to go. Mm. And the quicker I can let go of that, the better improviser I am, which is great motivation for me. So then in a, in the middle of a fight, I'll be like, okay, I'm just going to let, you know, let go of that. Yeah. I think in, in improv, once we sort of release our sort of natural human desire to win the scene or to sort of like come out on top of it somehow when we release that and we can be the sort of low status person or we can quote unquote lose the scene or we can it's like you know when kids are playing cops and robbers or whatever and someone's like ah oh, you know you miss me <laughs> no i got you <laughs> like all this kind of stuff when we can just sort of you know oh i'm gonna i'm gonna accept that i'm like ah and i'm like sort of die that noble death or whatever and have my sort of big outgoing speech or whatever that it, there's another saying that like the map isn't the territory you know what i'm saying you think that it's going to be this but then it is kind of what it really is you know and you have to kind of let go of your expectations and you have to just sort of like roll with the moment. I feel like that's the thing that probably the most important lesson of improv that I had learned on a daily basis with kids and a wife and stuff is just being in the moment. Like when I, when I'm in the moment with my kids, I'm the happiest when I'm with them, but like trying to sneak in some work or trying to send one text instead of like being hundred percent with them, I'm miserable. And that's a, a bed that I make myself like on an almost daily basis. And I'll keep learning that lesson. Hopefully it'll come into focus one day. Being present is such a Especially in improv, it's it's a diff. I mean, in life, of course, it's a difficult thing to do. It's a constant learning process. How do you approach that when you teach? And what do you, what have you found are the most effective ways to help students get there for themselves? When I'm teaching, I, first of all, I really love teaching, and I really take it very seriously, like a really sacred responsibility. And so, I really sort of try to give my all to it. And I really not only read about improv teaching, but like just teaching in general, like teaching theory, like how do we best communicate the ideas to someone else and this sort of thing. So, I really do take it very seriously. But I think that there's a woman named Miraj Thrams who who said this in an interview that I think really just put such a great point on it that I always quote it now. I say it almost every time I talk to people about it is that we have to be students of our students. 
we have to be students of our students. I and every other teacher or coach in the world has certain, you know, exercises or whatever that are the hits that they're, they're like, the, this always works. This always gets reaction from people. This always gets them this insight. They always have a great experience with it and X, Y, Z, whatever. Right. And so we have these, these hits or whatever, but the temptation is to then sort of let that exercise kind of run itself in a sense into sort of like, okay, so as we see, and then you realize this and da, 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 da. but it's not like always have to remember that it's always their first time. It's the millionth time for me, but it's the first time for them. So I always want to sort of know, well, what are you thinking? How did it feel to you? What's your experience of it? Like, and when an exercise doesn't, one of the, one of those hits exercises doesn't work for someone. That's interesting. Why not? Like whatever. But I think it's sort of, it's sort of having that sense of curiosity about like what's working, what's not working. Like what is the, what is it that this particular person needs or wants or gets from this exercise? You know, just sort of like that kind of, that kind of curiosity, being a student of the students, which she really phrased perfectly. I think that's the thing that really, um, that really keeps me in it, really keeps me going for it. I love that. It's almost like you have to practice presence yourself and release the expectation of where your own teaching is going to go. For sure. There's a, there's a book uh, about physics called the dancing Wooly masters. And one of the, one of the precepts of the book is that each time you do something, it's like the first time and you have all these experience of it, but it's not all those experiences of it. It's that it may be informed by that. And you may sort of like stand on the shoulders of that experience, but this is the first time that you're doing it now. And I try to sort of keep that in mind when I'm teaching and coaching is like, I'm not trying to make copies of me. I'm not trying to make little me's. I'm trying to sort of help everyone sort of pry open the door and sort of touch them selves. Who are, who are you as an improviser? What are you about as an improviser? That's who I want you to get in touch with. There's, there's already one of me. That's that market's oversaturated. Like, <laughs> you, need, you need to be, you need to be you. Like, what is it that you bring to the picture? That, that's what I think is really interesting. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing because, you know, I think that's when, You've it, like I've had bad experiences with teachers, maybe just like trying to force you into something that like doesn't really work for you. Yeah. Um, and you're having a hard time accessing the things that do, but because you are really listening to the feedback and listening to what your student is going through right now, instead of assuming that it's going to be the same as everyone else, you you get to know them better and are are able to help them access what makes them unique, which is really, I, I right. love that. And also I think one of the things I bring to the table as a teacher is just experience. Like, as I said, I've been doing this for quite a few years. And so if you disagree with me, that's okay. I'm not nervous about that. I'm not insecure about you disagreeing with me. Like that's okay. And we can sort of talk that out. And ultimately I always invite my students, just take the ride, just take the ride. When you leave here in eight weeks or whatever, you're going to do what you think is best. I'm, I'm offering you some tools. I'm offering you some suggestions. Here's what I think and what I've seen work for so many people over the years. And maybe it works for you. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe some of it does and some of it doesn't or whatever, but just take the ride. Just really legitimately try it on for size. That's the part that's frustrating is when someone won't try it on for size. They try to trick it or avoid it or skirt it or like not really take the ride. That's when it's frustrating. It's disappointing because it's like, if you tried this on, you might you might like it. You didn't know you like cupcakes till you had a cupcake. You know, you didn't resist cupcakes, you know? Yeah. It sounds like this great balance that you have as a teacher and that also students should have, which is a total lack of ego. Like you said, mm-hmm. you're not trying to 
make anyone do it your way. There's no ego involved, but there's also a pretty healthy level of confidence in that I don't need you to approve of me. It's, it's a, it seems like they might be in conflict with each other, this ego and confidence, but they're, they're really yeah. not. I think what I've sort of strived after people's students' approval more than doing my job per se, I feel like that's when I've gotten where I struggled the most. Whereas mm. like I'm trying to please them or I'm trying to sort of like, I want them to like me or I want them to walk out thinking I'm awesome or whatever, you know, that's always off track. I'm so off track at that point because it's not about that. It's about them and their experience and sort of coming back to coming back to that idea. Yeah. Would you say that mindset applies to performing and the audience? Like if you're trying to get the audience's approval more than just be in the scene? Yeah, for sure. I was having this conversation the other day. I, I don't, for me, uh, being a few years into it, I don't really perform like for the audience. I perform for the work. I sort of say, here's what I'm going to do. We've practiced this. We've rehearsed this. This is what we're presenting, right? We're going to do the best version of this that we can based on the metrics that we believe in or whatever. And we're going to do the best version if we can. And then you can react to it. I mean, I hope you like it. But I'm not going to, if I hear a laugh or whatever, I'm not going to try to follow that laugh or chase that laugh necessarily. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to try to do the best version of the show that I can do because I think that sort of trying to cater to the audience, maybe that's not even the right word, but trying to sort of like, hey, hey, what about what about this? What about this? And I think it'll sort of draw draw the work down. I'm like, this is what we're presenting, whether this is short form game that like alphabet game that a million people have done or whether it's, you know, man versus movie or whether it's, you know, beer shark mice or whatever, here's the show we're presenting. And then you've come to see it and then you encounter it and you have your response to it. And then let's maybe let's talk after the show or whatever. I mean, I hope you like it. It's hard to get out of the house and do stuff and pay money, that sort of thing. So I mean, my hope is that you'll enjoy it, but I'm not, I'm asking you to meet me. Where, where, where we're at. I'm not necessarily coming to, 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 to meet you. It's like when you go to a play, they don't change the play based on the, the audience. It's like, ah, oh, it seems like a really rowdy house out there. Yeah. Let's, let's use a lot more cussing tonight. <laughs> that's not how that goes. You know? And so I think, I think that that's where, that's where we are more like theater, let's say, than, than something else. Yeah. You imagine if they're doing just some really racy play and then they're like, there's a kid in the audience, everyone, no one say the F word. <laughs> <laughs> right. So like, like a mammoth play. Well, yeah, exactly. Gosh darn it, you guys. <laughs> it's reminding me of, and this will shed some light on how insecure I am as a performer, of when I was doing a play. I was doing McBee in college and we were doing this crossover thing with the English department where the English department had to come watch the play and like write reviews on it. And I got very uh, insecure about all these people coming to judge me. And I started making choices based on like what I thought they would like. And I had a, a director friend of mine come, shout out Matt Nevis. He came in and watched the play and I was asking him, I'm like, do you think they're going to like it? Like, do you think they're going to like, you know, what I, and he was like, man, why are you asking those questions? You should be asking what your character wants. What are your objectives? What are the moments before? What are you pursuing? He's like, you, the audience's opinion of you should be nowhere in your brain. And it was a big breakthrough for me. And I've tried, I mean, I always am insecure about the audience, but I always try to remind myself of this philosophy of like, what they think of me is not important right now. 
Right. For sure. There's that, there's that um, internet meme or whatever that's saying that like what, what other people think of you is, is none of your business. You know, yeah. it's like if we, if we believe the great accolade, but also on the other side, if we believe the great accolades that people heap on us after a show, then we have to also believe the other stuff. Yeah. So we have to kind of divorce ourselves from the whole thing. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed that. So thanks for coming or whatever. And, and look, I'm saying this, but it's what well, we all grapple with it. You can't believe the hype and you can't believe the, 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 the haters. You just got to sort of believe in the work. And like you try to, when you come backstage after a show, trying to set your own thermostat, like, okay, we achieved the goals we were after. We did the show. We, we were, were, our loyalty is to the work. We did that. And then, okay. And then you set your own definition of success or whatever before you encounter the, these other forces. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. Uh, most shows that I do, I, I always try to like start a quick conversation when we get back to it, even if we're just like switching over, like at the IO, we just be switching over in the green or whatever. I'd only try to hold up for a second. Like that was, really, I'd like this thing that you did. What do you guys think? Whatever. And just sort of like have like just two seconds just to sort of like circle up and how do we feel about the show before we hear how everyone else felt about the show. That's mm. been helpful to me. That's good advice. Mm. Cause for like writing or filmmaking, there's I, I'm, my new gauge is that I'm like, I have to like it. Do I like it? For sure. Is my, is my number one gauge. And so to have that moment for yourself for an improv show where you're like, no, no outside input. I, did I like it? I think is very helpful. Right. If we're, if our loyalty to the work, then we have certain sort of metrics or standards that we're trying to achieve. I always try to set a goal for the show. Like here's what I'm going to try in this show. I'm really going to try to work on this. Did I achieve my goal? Like really sort of tangible things that I can tell, like, did I achieve that? Did I sort of get there or not? Even when I do man versus movie, like by myself, I come back and I just have like a moment to myself of like, Okay, and then this and that, and then okay, and then I should have done that. Okay, right. oh, here we go. So, for like a beer shark, my show, yeah. do you have that discussion with your teammates beforehand? Is that something that you guys yeah. have done? Yeah, it's a little grab ass, but we have it for sure. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, you can imagine it's trying to herd cats, but it's like, hey, guys, guys, let's try to, you know, it's we, we talk about really, really the first scene a lot. Remember, let's try to get names out and relationships and remember two back with each character, just like our basic building blocks of the form. And then that's it. And that's, that's kind of what we try to sort of remind ourselves of, of you know, and we sort of hit that and miss that, you know, sort of sometimes you just sort of get out there and it starts rolling, but we definitely try to remind ourselves of here's our goals for, for the start because, you know, well begun is half done. And so, and so if we get off on the right foot, usually the show goes a little bit easier and goes a little bit, it's more, it's more play than work. Yeah. For beer shark mice, for a team that doesn't perform regularly, how do you think about and I think we're talking about this right now already, but how do you think about staying fresh and preparing for a show with them? For me, I think I perform more regularly than most of the other guys. I just try to, it's sort of one of those things where like, I just try to bring my best to the, my best to the show. Like I just try to remember what are my goals? What are the, I always come back to the basics. I really love teaching like level one, the basics. I always try to come back to those and try to give out big playable gifts, try to take in what's given to me, have emotional reactions, have a character and names, like all the basic things. And just try to bring my best my best self to it, bring my A game every time because those guys bring, you know, their, their game and their, their years of experience and stuff. And it's just fast and fast and furious. And everyone's going as a group, I say they, but we, as a group don't necessarily like make space. You like sort of elbow your way in, you know, everyone's so excited. We all love it because we don't perform that. Everyone, so you just got elbow your way in, come strong. And so, yeah, I think I just really try to, to be in that moment and really enjoy that thing. One time, uh, towards the end of IO, not the very last show, one of the one of our 
last shows, uh, we came out on stage and it was a full house, which is always nice to perform in front of a full house and people are clapping or whatever. And Neil Flynn leans over to me. He's like, it's not always going to be like this. And I was like, Jesus, dark. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it really sort of sent, it really sort of centered me in the moment. I was like, you're right. It's not always like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not always like this. I've done more than my fair share of shows where, you know, the team was maybe equal to the audience or exceeded the audience or, you know, I've done tons of those shows for sure. And so uh, his, his comment was well taken of like, let's appreciate this, how, how lucky we are to get to perform in front of these, this, these people and that they're excited to be here. We're excited to be here. And, and uh, you know, let's value every moment. Yeah, you're t- you're touching on something that I I was curious about anyway with Beer Shark Mice. I my first intro to Beer Shark Mice was I all of us at one point were interns at iOS. We're all iOS babies <laughs> and I remember first getting to LA from Utah. I've only been in town for like 2 weeks and I'm house managing iOS in the bathroom there's this poster of Beer Shark Mice and I didn't know who Beer Shark Mice was and as I was asking people about it there was this almost sort of like reverence about like, oh, beer shark mice, those guys are the best. Like those guys are the legit, like you're the top tier, you know, rock star status of improv teams. And I am very curious of how much awareness you have of that and what it was like as you evolved as a team and grew as a team and sort of, you know, came into that, that top tier of improv teams. Yeah. I mean, I, um, uh, how aware are we of that? I mean, that, that's a tough question to answer. I'd say, I guess we're aware that people like the show and people sort of like, you know, sort of um, respect the time and the sort of seniority at the very least that we, that, that we have in the, in the community as a team. Like I, uh, Beer Shark Mice started actually when IO was in the, um, was in the complex, like years oh, wow. years ago, it's it's been around for a long time. Like off and on, and and Pat McCartney was actually in the team originally. I was on the team originally, and then Pat McCartney moved back to New York, and I was like the permanent like filling guy, and I would fill in. And uh, then one day, <laughs> in a regular Bear Shark Mice ritual, Pete Holmes like, you know, you're on the team, right? Just show up. And I was like, oh, all right. And so <laughs> that's how that went. That was pretty exciting, and um, and so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess we're aware that people that people like the show and sort of expect a certain caliber show or want or they come out and I think the biggest awareness is that people come expecting to have a good time. You know, mm-hmm. they're not suspicious of the show in this in the way that they are sometimes of other improv shows. Yeah. They come expecting to have a good time, and I I think we're definitely aware that we're that we have good houses usually, and that's really fun and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I think we all try to sort of keep sort of keep settled about like uh, the, what I like about the guys is most of the guys are like are like, you know, South Side guys and sort of no one's like trying to big league anybody generally, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, hey, let's just do our show or whatever. And, you know, that's it. Well, that's why we're here. We're not like <laughs> curing cancer or whatever. <laughs> we're just we're doing improv. Show, not, man, yet. Like, not yet. Not <laughs> yet. We'll uh, see. Some of those scenes are pretty good. <laughs> You know what they say, chasing storms ain't free. So please enjoy this quick message from our sponsor and we'll be right back. 
This episode is brought to you by RY Originals, whole plant, vegan CBD vitamins that are full of healthy, purposeful vitamins, minerals, and herbs. Hemp is more nutrient dense than broccoli and berries. It's a superfood. For some reason, every other CBD product extracts and isolates the CBD from the plant, leaving all the nutrients behind. But RY says, not today, nutrients. You're coming with us. By lightly baking the hemp powder and mixing it in with other natural vitamins and minerals, RY creates a perfectly healthy and perfectly balanced experience. So, not only do they make you feel good, they are also really good for you. They're double lab tested and activated without extraction, which makes them truly original. RY Originals has crafted four unique blends. They've got Better Mood, Pain Lift, Sleep Tight, and Original Blend, all of which are available right now at shop.ryoriginals.com. That's S-H-O-P dot R-Y-O-R-I-G-I-N-A-L-S dot com. So check them out today, and don't forget to use discount code STORMCHASER at the checkout to get 420 off every bottle. RY Originals. Eat your greens. Travis, I feel like this would be a good point to uh, lay in your Dell quote and ask oh, him about that. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I was listening to some other interviews with you, Paul. And okay. um, you brought up, a, a, I think it was a quote from Dell about okay. how his goal for improv yeah. was to have people leaving the theater saying, oh, man, that was a great show. Mm-hmm. And not leaving the theater saying, oh, that was a great improv show. Sure. I thought that was a really cool point, And I just would love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, that really struck me when he, um, when I sort of came upon that quote, I thought it was really great aspiration that his sort of hope was that the show would stand shoulder to shoulder with, or improv shows or whatever, would stand shoulder to shoulder with like rehearsed theatrical presentations and that, that they would both be just as viable and respected and that you wouldn't need a qualifier when you enjoyed the show. Like, oh, that's good for an improv show. Like you, like uh, that was good. Oh, that was good for a high school play, whatever. You know what I'm saying? You just want people to sort of, have that whole experience and just enjoy it or not enjoy it. And hopefully not have to sort of qualify their enjoyment of it. So it's like, well, I enjoyed it in the context of that. Yeah. I think it's really, really challenges you to up your work, you know, really challenges you to up your work and, and to really set a higher goal that it's not just like this, something in a bar or something in a whatever. It's like, what else? What let's strive for, let's push past that. What else, How high can we go? How far can we go? And that's sort of like part of the thing of like, our, our responsibility to the audience is, is to be interesting, not necessarily to make them laugh, but to be interesting. And we'll see where we go. Where can we take them? What sort of vast spectrum of emotions that we can evoke in an audience? A lot of times it's laughter and joy and surprise or whatever, or scandal or whatever. But well, what else? Uh, some of my favorite improv moments are the ones where it's like, like when I'm doing the, the the man versus movie and and I feel like the audience is really in it. And I know they're really in it because they're reacting to it. Like they're reacting to a movie and like something will happen. Like one of the main characters like falls off the edge of a cliff and someone in the audience gasped. And I'm like, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> We're in it now. It's all happening now, you know, or there, there's that moment where it's like just before a big battle scene and I'll just like pause for a second. And then the audience like totally silent, just like they are in a movie. And it's like, Oh, we're all in it. We're all in this other this other space now we're not just clinking drinks and like you know bullshitting around like we're in we're there invested i'm invested we're all in this moment together and i think that's really that's really fun that's really exciting and that's sort of how i sort of view that quote to to challenge my work to be that 
that that thing. Yeah. In that same interview, you said we're trying to create spontaneous art. Yeah. And that, that I was like, whoa! I loved it. I thought that's such <laughs> a great that, way to that's phrase also it. Also, probably from Dell or maybe possibly from Sharna, but I think that yeah, that's an, that's an idea that I inherited for sure. But yeah, that's that's kind of the idea, right? Is like if we believe that there's craft and then art, then we can all sort of master the craft of it and then sort of take it to the next level. I think we're. All, I mean, what, if we're not aiming for the next level, then what are we doing? Mm. Like what? Like what are what are we doing? Like if we're not trying to sort of learn something new or make something new, like I've seen improv shows. I went to see this improv show when I was new in LA, and uh, it was like in this little theater, and it was like a full house of people, maybe forty or fifty people, and it was I could tell from watching it that it was the same tired bits that, the, that these people have done over and over again, and whatever. I saw a couple of shows like that actually when I first got to LA, and I was like, what are we doing? Like what are we? What's happening here? Why are we doing the same show? Then just make it a sketch show and just do that or whatever. But why the sort of the pretense of improv if you're just going to do your canned bits that you do over and over? You know, I I really try to, for me, I know that I really try to push. And and when I sort of find myself repeating a character, which we all do, or you're repeating a character, repeating an idea, I really think, oh, you know, I really want to push. I really, uh, that's when I go backstage, I'm like, that's a repeat. You did that again. And so I try to push and like, what else can I discover? What other inputs can I give myself maybe, or what other sort of inspirations can I draw from so that I'm not just like doing the same thing over and over again? Like that's who wants to do that? Like that's one of the challenges of, of short for me, one of the challenges of doing short form in a really fulfilling way is to do it different every time. Alphabet game, the 10th time you need to really dig, you need to dig deep a little bit. And that's when you go back to your basics and you have to form a relationship and all these things, not just lean on the game to propel it forward. This scene should be a, a scene that also happens to be a game. Yeah. It's a good improv scene, but it happens to be alphabet game as well, or it happens to be genre option or whatever, you know? I always call it short form with a long form sensibility because I feel like in long form, we need that more. So we sort of strive after that more. And I try it whenever I play short form, which is every once in a while, it's always a ball because you're just like hitting dingers. You're like, boom, like for the fences, you <laughs> swoop, you have to support as much weight, you know? So you just like lean into every, every line. It's like, bang, you know, but I really try to play with a long form sensibility and still build relationships and, and connect to the other, other players and not just like, uh, this is just a machine. I just happen to be in the machine now, you know? It yeah. reminds me of something you said earlier about being able to lose the scene. And it's like, when I play short form, I'm like, I want to want to win, but also have a great scene if I lose. Like, so that it's yeah. like the scene is still more important than winning. Yeah. But I'm going to still try to win. <laughs> yeah. I think I, the, the the idea of winning and losing, I think is very, is very tricky. And, and for me, that's why like in short form guessing games are my least favorite game because it really has that built in sort of winning, losing, you're right or you're wrong. Right. And I think that like, uh, like I've said, I've been t- teaching for a while and very rarely do I ever look at a scene and go wrong. <laughs> you know, it's usually like okay that you haven't have, you haven't improvised with Andrew, so <laughs> yeah, I feel no. You were my level one teacher at iOS, and you said wrong to me, and then I walked out crying. Oh, <laughs> well, I said rarely, so <laughs> I guess my work here is done. But it, I mean, usually as as a teacher, I really try to say like, well, here here's here. What are you trying to achieve? How did that feel? Okay. It felt like you were working on it. Okay, great. What are you trying to achieve? I wanted to get across this idea. Great. You might've thought 
this or or maybe try this tactic next time. One thing I really, really never say is what I would have done is mm. because no one gives a shit. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to be like your Obi-Wan Kenobi during all your shows. Like, say this now. <laughs> Turn off your targeting computer. Like, no, that doesn't happen. You have to have your own compass. I need to sort of, you know, help you connect with your thing. Like, it's not me. It's not my thing. It's your thing. That for me, that's like the biggest ego disconnect is like trying to is letting go of that and realizing I'm not trying to make you look like me. I'm trying to make you look like you. Uh, last month, I went down the rabbit hole, read all of Austin Kleon's books. And one of the things that really stuck with me was this idea that we're not trying to look like our heroes. We're trying to see like our heroes. Mm. Right? And, it, and I really sort of thought about, I've been thinking about that a ton. And that's what I'm trying to do when I'm teaching. So I'm not trying to get them to look like me or perform like me or sound like me. And there's some teachers that do that. You can tell, oh, you just had class with so-and-so because you're doing your impression of them. But it's like, it's like, I would love for them to, let's see that what I want them to see is let's see big playable gifts. Let's see relationship. Let's see, let's all look and try to do those things, but you do it in your way. Like, otherwise, again, what are we doing? I love that. I also love gleaning inspiration for improv from non-traditional improv sources you've mentioned a couple books now the oh i can't even read my handing the physics book that you were talking oh, about before the dancing wooly masters uh-huh Dan oh yeah that's what that says dancing wooly like, masters are there any other great books for improv that aren't actual improv books you can recommend sure pick one and there's a there's a million great honestly i, I think any book that you sort of pick up or any movie this is what i loved about improv when i first started and, and still today is whatever you read, whatever you watch, whatever the music you listen to, or like the sports you love or whatever, like whatever nerdy habit you have, like that all plays into it. It's all grist for the mill. I think the tricky part is the improv is so great that we get drunk on improv and then we only drink improv. And so we're just seeing it like, and look, I'm a perfect example of that. When I was living in Chicago, I lived walking distance to the IO. I was there like six nights a week, like watching shows or doing shows or going to watch and ending up doing. But it was like that my only inspiration was like other improv coming in. But that's where I was in my journey, you know. But but it, but when people ask me, I say, yeah, read improv books, but also read other books, right? Read any kind of book, pick a book. Uh, Dave Hill was telling me an interesting story about when he, in his college improv group, I think they did like salons where, where each member of the, of the team would like come in and, and talk at some point about something that they knew a ton about. Like one guy came in and talked, I think he said about like high school marching band or something, whatever. Right. And it was like, there's like all these details and sort of a deep dive on high school marching band. You're like, oh, wow. And then, then when you go to do a scene at high school marching band, holy smokes, you're not just playing generalities, you're playing specifics that you've seen. And that adds life and and excitement to what's happening, you know, because then someone's in high school marching and they're like, yeah, that's what it's like. And also it pushes you in a really specific way. You know, from writing or improvising, when you have that specific choice, it's it sounds different. It feels different. It has like a different sort of life to it than, than a generality. Yeah, I think we've probably all come across that moment where someone says, oh, I could never do that. And sometimes I just feel like I go on stage and I talk about things that I've been reading recently. And I'm like, yeah. If you just had a space to talk about some of your expertise, you know, maybe it wouldn't be as hard as you thought it was. Sure. Dell used to do this thing that I do in my class sometimes is, uh, is I'll just ask people like, uh, you know, before class starts, we're just sort of like kicking around, I'm answering questions, how do you make money at this or whatever. And, uh, and I'm answering questions and I'm also asking questions, like, what, what are you reading now? What, just everyone, what are you reading? An article, a book, like what's going on? What are you reading? Right. And then we just hear, hear what people are reading. What, what, what movies did you watch this week? Especially when we're doing the improvised movie class. 
what movies did you watch this week? Bing, 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 bing. Let's hear it from everybody, right? So then not only am I uh, sort of a little bit, no, almost like school that I have an accountability, like, oh shit, I'm gonna have to come up with something I'm reading or a movie that I saw or whatever. And it pushes me outside of my comfort zone. I, I, I do try to strive for that new inspiration, but we're also sharing inspirations. Like someone's like, when we're doing Western, someone's like, oh, I watched Silverado. And someone else is like, oh, I watched Treasure of the Sierra Madre or whatever. Right. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. I haven't seen that one. Oh, yeah. Well, that's like this. And we sort of share the influences or share the tropes or the whatever. We sort of get to share influences with each other. You know, I think that's what's really fun about the movie is like the more you know movies, it's a form for movie lovers by movie lovers. The more you know about movies, the more fun you have playing it because you're accessing all those specifics of like how movies work or little pieces of genre stuff or whatever. This is a great time to talk about your show, Man versus Movie. Um, I went on a binge and I watched a couple of your shows on YouTube oh, and I, you. first of all, super entertained. You're, you're so, it's so good and so different and so unique. And it's what, if someone pitched the idea to me, I would be like, that's impossible. You can't do it. One man by himself. It's not it's never going to work. And I loved it. And also it just filled me with so many questions. So if it's okay, I would love to pick your brain about yeah, it. Go for it. I, I love, I love that. First of all, I love the improvised movie and I really love doing man versus movie because I feel like it has like a, a ta-da to it. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. when it's done, it's like, ta-da. Like, it's <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This crazy juggling act with chainsaws and, <laughs> right. you know, <laughs> which I did in another life, but yes, yes, yes. All of that. Oh, so the first thing I thought of, uh, one of our coaches, Jet Eveleth, Oh, sure. she, yeah, she's amazing. And she pretty early on taught us this concept of like the improviser. She used the analogy of a car. She's like, an mm. improviser is a car and there's three people in the car. There's an actor, there's a director, and there's oh, a yeah. writer, wow. you know, and they're all in the car together. And, you know, the, I think the actor is driving, but the director's telling them where to go. And then the writer's coming up with, let's say, anyway, you get the concept. Yeah. As I was watching Man versus Movie, I was like, oh man, never is that more literal than in this. Like, you're literally the director and the writer and the actor and the editor. Yeah. Um, let me say, like, sort of, it was sort of an evolution for me. Like, I learned about the improvised movie when I was in Chicago. The family, uh, under the direction of Del Close, was creating a bunch of forms. It was like the Herald was like, had just given birth to all these different forms. And one of them was the improvised movie. When I saw that, I was like, oh, holy smokes, that's great. I want to do that. And so I ended up sort of learning it and teaching that class and doing with that with my group at the time. And then I've done it with a few groups over the years. With that, I was also did this one-man action movie show, like a scripted show. And then sort of at the same time, I'd also been doing this two-man show with Pete Gardner. And so it was all these influencers sort of added up. And then finally, I was like, can I do it solo? So I had sort of done all these incremental steps of the of the work, you know, then it was just a matter of like pulling all those pieces together in the end. In doing the show, I really just honestly, I'm a big believer in the basics. And I go back to the basics of what I teach my movie class of like those first three scenes. Like if you can like nail those first three scenes with a hero and a villain and a complication, then you're really, you're, your trajectory is like almost set. You can almost, I can almost tell you from that first like five minutes what the last five minutes are going to be you know? And so you're sort of like arcing towards that door, towards this idea. And you make a ton of discoveries along the way, you know what I'm saying? In all improv scenes and in the, in, in the improv movie in specific, the, the end is in the beginning, right? So once you sort of nail that thing, then you're sort of like, uh, okay, you're like, oh, I know where I'm going to go. This is the hero. This is the villain. Those two people are going to clash somehow. This thing's going to complicate it. Okay, great. And then it's like, and like sort of matrix wise, like sort of focuses down to here's the thing. And 
What I love about doing the movie is that like, once you start, there's like no pause. You're in it the whole time. You're just, I'm hearing it when you're hearing it. It's all happening. You know, it's just like a go, 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 all guns go. And that's sort of the long and the short of it. It comes down to basics and giving big playable gifts, even to myself, playing the gifts that I'm given and telling that story piece by piece down the road. And I think the transitions are probably the hardest part because you're coming out of something and then sort of setting up the next thing. You know, so it's a lot of like, we cut to the exterior of a, it's a, it's a house. It's, it's a, it's a mansion is what it is. And it's like, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you're sort of like, just like by, but, but for me, when I see an improv show, that's like that, where I can sort of see a little bit of the improviser working. I love that kind of stuff. I just like, go, go for it. Get it. You can get it. Great. It's just out of your reach. Go reach, reach, reach. And then they get it. You're like, oh, thank God. But that's what I love about it is you have to, I, for me, I really have to be like in the moment of it because I can't stop to think. If I think too much, then I'm done. Yeah. It's, it's all the basics. It's all the basics, like writ large and loudly just getting after it. Are you just exhausted after a show? Well, yeah. I mean, it's uh, exhausted and completely energized. You know what I'm saying? Like, because it's like, oh, I just, I just, I just touched, I just tapped into this, this universal energy, you know what I'm saying? But physically I'm drenched in sweat and (laughs) gross and disgusting. (laughs) You know, it's not glamorous by any stretch, but yeah, physically drained, but spiritually like really sort of enervated, you know, wow, my God, that was great. Is there a different warm up process you have for these shows as compared to another improv show? I don't think so. It's sort of the same thing. I, I, I tell myself, here's the things that I want to hit. Here's the goals that I'm going after. Here's the basics of how we start. I, I have a little warm up ritual that I wrote about in my free book that's available. Just mm-hmm. very simple, like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Ugh. And it's just like, it just sort of, I do that before every show. It just sort of like turns on game time. Here we go. That book, by the way, let's plug it real quick. It's called uh, Five Things. Five Things Improvisers. Oh, boy. I had it written down. What's the name of the book, Paul? <laughs> uh, it's, I think it's something like Five Things Improvisers Can Do to Stay Creative, Have Fun. Yeah. Feel Inspired. Feel Inspired. That's it. That's, That's it. I wrote it a while is. ago. You can find the link on his Instagram. It, uh, yeah. It's great. I read it, and uh-huh. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And especially oh, now when, you know, finding time to play with other people is really tricky. These exercises to do on your own are a super fun and be super helpful. Oh, so glad. But I was really interested in the warm up you list because it, it honestly, it reminded me of, I, my dad brought me to a Tony Robbins workshop with him. Sure. Yeah. And Tony Robbins talks about state and how Uh you're in control of your state. And there are little tricks you can do to, to get yourself into state. And one of the things Tony Robbins talks about is like a pose or like, what's your move? to remind your body, oh yeah, fire up, you know? And you talk about, you know, you just do like the handshake and you do this little move and then combine that with the mental aspect of visualizing the show. And it, it, it's almost like a, you've like programmed your brain and your body to fire up when you do these things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely. I mean, I think that sort of we as beer shark mice, we don't do a big warm up. We just sort of like get backstage and we sort of talk a little bit and sort of just catch up with everybody, that sort of thing. And, you know, when you're in a show by yourself, it's like zip, oh, <laughs> you know, there's not a ton of that. So it's just sort of like, it's uh, for me, I, I really, I really like it. It really just sort of like makes me like, this is game time. Let's, let's go. And, and it really helps me. And I, I'm a big believer in ritual, that sort of thing. I think it really helps. And when I teach classes, I do sort of the same 
some of the same warm-ups every single week and helps people transition from their workaday life into this sacred space of theater. And here's what we're going to do. Let's put this other stuff aside for a minute. And here we are. And we sort of do this other thing, you know, and you don't, you're not entering data now. You're accessing your creative genius. Let's go there. Let's let go of that other thing. Let's jump out of that box into this. Yeah, I love how in this book you ask what, your ritual is what's the reader's ritual you put it on them you say don't Mm. necessarily copy me this is just an example for you to think of what works for you and i love that because i feel like when i read books i'm being sold a pattern of doing a thing as opposed to being asked to be creative myself yeah and that's it's so funny because i wrote that book before i read this austin cleon book but in, in retrospect looking back at it i'm not asking you to look like me i'm asking you to see like me i see like what is it what is this ritual that i that i need that i that I want, or I want a ritual, or I need a ritual to sort of like gain time, right? But I'm not saying do mine, look at me, look like me, see like me, see that need and fill that need your way. That's advice that I was given as a young improviser that made me start to watch improvisers on the sidelines mm. and to and to sort of, instead of be like, oh, I want to copy what they're doing, I try to clock the, you know, when they'd have that moment where they're like, oh, I'm going to edit right now because I yeah. can, like, see it in their eyes and stuff. And it was very helpful. Yeah, for sure. And you see, because I think that the watching other improvisers, I always tell my students to go and see shows and, and watch what are the choices that people are making? What are the, what are the decisions that they're, that they're making? What are they going after? How are they yes anding this sort of thing? Not like what characters are they doing? What sort of bits are they using or whatever, this kind of thing. It's like, it's like mental, it's a mental game. Like what, those things are much more important the decisions and the, and the yes ands and the choices that they're making. Yeah. Can I come back to man versus movie real quick? Yeah, sure. I'm so curious how you, what am I trying to say? How, how do you improvise organically? How do you surprise yourself when you're improvising without a scene partner? It's partly because I'm just sort of going really fast as part of like, for me, that's part of what makes it work is like, I feel like if I was going a little bit slower, I would be thinking too much. Hmm. Right. And so I'm not going slow. I'm going fast. And so I'm just kind of saying these things that, that come out in the moment. And then I'm really trying to listen to myself, you know, as much as I would listen, listen to my partner, listening to myself. So that when I say something sideways, or if I say something like uh, I was doing one, before the pandemic where there was this guy who was like the lawgiver and he was sort of like a, it was like a post-apocalyptic. He was like a sort of sheriff or whatever. And just the first time that I was doing him and I was giving this speech, I like stuttered and I stammered and I was like, okay, I'm just going to say yes to that. And let's find out where that goes. And so it was every time he had a big speech to give, he would like stammer and sort of like feel self-conscious and backtrack a little bit and then try to move forward or whatever. And so it's just, it's just like listening and picking up all those little those nuances and of just sort of like, as we're talking about before being in the moment and seeing what's really happening, not what I think is happening, what, not what I intended to happen, not what I want to happen, what really is happening. And then responding to that, even if what's happening is coming from me. Well, that was one of the things I was so impressed by. We've been talking a lot recently. That's why I ask about surprising yourself with your plan yeah. and not, you know, and it's, 
So I was just so blown away because watching it, you can tell like, oh, it feels spontaneous. It feels organic. It feels like good improv. And I just, it was like a magic trick. I was like, how is he doing that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's it's just that. It's just it's honestly just really being in the moment and really paying attention. The speed helps me keep in the moment for sure. But it's like really just paying attention. And and when I'm playing with other people like Beer Shark Mice or whatever, or a pickup show or this place or that place or whatever, I try to really listen to what, what they're saying and how they're saying it and sort of like really respond to the exact thing, not the, the broad strokes of what they're saying, but the exact thing they're saying and how they're saying it. And, and maybe their phrasing of it tells me something about them or tells me something about me. And then if we do that, even solo or with a group or whatever, if we do that, then we're, then we are, are always making discoveries. Right. If I'm just playing the broad, if I'm just playing the generalities, like I said before, then I'm not going to make discoveries. I'm not going to surprise myself because I'm going to see like I'm put everything in these broad categories. Right. But if I see everything, every line or every movement as a one unique thing, then I'm going to respond to it uniquely. Yes. I like the specificity of that. It reminds me of something my fiance and I do is like if we see something in life, like overhear something or something in a movie, we'll be like, that's the best improv I've ever seen. And it's a thing that we say, and we're like, yeah, well, it's not improv. It's like from this movie, or it's like just somebody's life, but it'll be because if you strip everything else away, whatever they said or did was so specific to them or the moment that we're like, that's good improv. That's what that's supposed to look like. And so I love that you are just looking, you know, at how exactly it was said, like how specific can you read what it says about you, what it says about me? Um, I think is really cool. Yeah. It just really comes back down to those, to those basics again. Like, what does it mean about you? What does it mean about me? What does it mean about us? And so really trying to get after those, those big ideas in as specific a way as possible. And I think, yeah, that, that specificity really tells the tale. Like that, that really separates for me. Like I, I'll, one of my most vivid memories of improv is I was watching quartet and Jeanville peak was doing a bit where she was a waitress and she was putting on gloves, right? These little gloves that had like a button on the wrist, but it's like all mine, but just the, she took, it took like a minute of like silence of her just putting on it, but it's just like so specific and so clear and so committed. I was like riveted to this moment. I don't remember anything else about the scene other than her putting on these gloves. And I was like, holy smokes, like that's so interesting. And also when someone does something in the scene you've never seen before, you're like, oh my God. Another great person mm-hmm. for this is Noah Gregoropoulos. I remember I, another super vivid memory. We were in a show in Armando in, in Chicago, like oh, more than 20 years ago at this point, right? But he was a father uh, of a son and everyone in the, all the men in their family had always been left by their wives. Their wives had all left them. It was like a, a history. And, and so he's like saying, and this is the day your mom left us. And he had like a Polaroid and he reached into like a little drawer and pulled out like a, like a library date stamp and like adjusted it to the day and then like stamped the date on the picture. And I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> That's me. Like what is happening? Like it was so, you could see the whole thing happening and it's crazy. And he has a great quote about that, that I say sometimes we, we, my team and I were blown away by that. And so afterwards we're like, how do you do that? How do you like your space work is so rich all the time. You fill out the environment so much. And he said, he said, it is much less scary to me to reach out into the world or look into the scene and see something than to see nothing. 
So he just fills it out. He just populates it. But I'll tell you that library date stamp was like <laughs> off the chain and it was like, holy smokes, what are we doing? It was so great. So great. And that's something I've never seen before or since, even in a library scene, I've never seen anyone do that. It's pretty amazing. But those like those really specific things really stand out. They really like, oh my gosh. That's so cool. It's sort of the magic of improv too. I'm thinking of a couple instances of myself too. And as I look back and I, and I replay it in my mind, in my mind, I can, I see the thing they're holding. I see the thing they're wearing. I don't see them miming it. I, I see it as if they were really holding it because they were so specific. To bring it back around to the man versus movie for a second. Like that's for me, that's the best is like a week later or a month later when I run into someone and like, Oh, I saw your show. And then they tell it back to me like a movie yeah. and not like an improv show. There's like those three guys, the one redheaded guy from New York and then the, the blonde guy and the whatever guy. And they were like in that foxhole and this, this that happened. And this guy said that I'm like, that's crazy, man. I just incepted that idea into you. You saw a movie. That's phenomenal. That's like what I'm really striving for is that the experience of a movie that when they think about it, when they tell it back to me or whatever, they tell it to their friend or whatever, that it's like a movie that you tell like you tell a movie. It's magic, man. <laughs> it really That's is so cool i feel like i saw maybe it was craig kakowski like walking off of a quartet set and he had a pen and so he like clicked it and like put it in his pocket but i could see him because i was on the stairs but he was it was not for the audience right, it was like for, sure. for him because he's like so committed that he's like ah, i gotta get put my pen away in my right, pocket because you're just you're just in it and the whole thing like exists it's so wonderful i really want to know how you are feeling about IO West being closed now, you know, because you were this huge part of its inception. I'm, sure. I'm curious, like how you're feeling about that. Um, sad, really sad. I feel really sad about it. I mean, it's, uh, it was something that I, uh, thought of when I was in Chicago and got Sharna on board. And then I started the place out here. And, and even though I only ran it, like hands-on ran it for like the first couple of years to get it up and going. That was like zero to one. So that was like really exciting and really fun. And then also it was just something I was really proud of all the way along. People say, Oh, I, I took a class at IO. I was like, that's awesome. When people, when people said whoever they took class with or whatever show they saw, I felt proud of that because it was like, Oh, that's awesome, man. So I have my own personal sort of attachment to it. I'm sure, which is pretty different than a lot of people, but I, I'm sad that it's closed. I think it was really, I mean, I met a lot of my best friends there. I met my wife there. Like it's like, mm. you know, it has a lot of personal memories for me. It was a complicated, like damaged, like problematic <laughs> <laughs> situation in, in a lot of ways. And I, my hope would be that we would be able to sort of evolve out of that and sort of you know, sort of make those important changes and, and make it sort of make my experience, everyone's experience. You know, when I look back at my time at IO in, in Chicago, like I had a fantastic experience, but now looking back with more mature informed eyes, I realize that's not everyone's experience, you mm -hmm. know? So I would love for everyone to have the same experience that I had that I felt like really nurtured. I felt really cared for. And I taught, I, I had a ton of opportunities and I learned a lot and I met a lot. Of, I was in this creative, like hotbed at the time. It's like so great. And that, you know, I would really uh, have hoped in an alternate dimension that, that IO could make the changes that, that sort of make that available to everyone. And that, that, that sort of family feeling could continue. Cause that's what I really loved about it was I would work 
you know, in production for a couple months and not go at all. And then I would be able to go back and I'd walk into the bar and like, Hey, what's up? And you see people you haven't seen in a long time or someone who's totally new, you know, who's like, Hey, this is my, I just did my first show. That's awesome, man. Whatever. I, I, I love that camaraderie that is really unique. Like I've been to other improv theaters around the country and stuff. And that camaraderie, uh, I just didn't see it as much as I saw at IO West. So I'm sorry to lose that out of the community too, for sure, is like people could get together and they could, you know, like, hey, let's do a show. Okay, great. Maybe we'll do it in the in the back theater, in the Andy Dick theater at like 11 o'clock on a Sunday, but we can do it and we're upstairs, whatever. But like, we can just like meet other people. And I mean, you guys met there, yeah? Yeah. 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 I mean, I wanted to say thank you for that. <laughs> and so many people would probably want to say thank you because even though it's not around anymore, I mean, it's the reason that we were brought together and we met so many wonderful people who we're still very close friends with. So thank yeah. you for giving yeah, us thank that. You. that we, d- we definitely, we definitely miss it a lot. And I, and I hope that that kind of community that you're talking about, cause I, I, it is very special. It was special to walk into the bar and be like, this is like cheers, but in life, like yeah. it's, it wasn't, you know, it nothing to mess around with, but I hope that it will exist in some other way for the community. Yeah. I mean, sure. I feel like just that, just that, especially coming to LA, there can be such a separate distance thing. Everyone's in their own cars driving around. We're not all in the L together, whatever the, the happenstance of meeting people is really much more rare. And so uh, that sort of community was that for a lot of people. And for myself as well, I knew I was done in Chicago. I knew I was moving to LA. I was like, maybe I can have my cake and eat it too. (laughs) If I just bring this thing with me, I wanted it. I wanted an IO in in LA and I was able to luckily do it. And it really cushioned my landing for sure. And I, and I know Mm -hmm. a lot of other people too, for a long time. And it was like a, you know, a good landing place for people that came from the island of Chicago or came from anywhere. Like tons of people, like just walking by, they looked in, they saw, Hey, there's a, and they walk in they're like, what is this place? Oh, it's, a, and then that person like five years later is like on, you know, on stage doing a show or whatever. And they were just walking home. Yeah. It's yeah. honestly, when I first moved to LA, I used to come and just like sit on the stairs if I wasn't watching a show, because I was like, I don't feel good anywhere else. Cause it's like hard, you know, it's hard to move to a big city. And IO was like someplace where I was like, I feel good here. Sure. So I'm just going to be here that's awesome. and, and, that, and talk to people. So that yeah, is thank like, you. If, honestly, that's means so much to me. Like all the rest of it's all great. And improv is fantastic, whatever. But the fact that so many people like have that feeling that it made me feel good. It made me feel, it helped me sort of in my time here in LA, just whatever. And the community, not me, but the community that helps so many people like that makes everything else worth it. And that's, I think that's the biggest loss. There's a million improv theaters and Zooms and whatever, blah, 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 and we're going to all come back and do improv shows again and so-and-so. Da, da, da. But I think the, th- the big loss for me is that that community. And I think Westside has picked up a lot of that community feeling. That seems to be like sort of for me, that's where it is right now. But I'm sort of like an outsider to that community. I mean, they're they're very nice to me. Don't get me wrong. But it's like I'm I wasn't I'm not there all the time. I live mm-hmm. here uh, in the valley, so it's like. To, it's, but I think a lot of people have that same sort of familial, comforting feeling about that place. Yeah. Well, Paul, we know you have to go, but 
I mean, you know, thank you for starting iOS so that we would could have a home. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Was, oh my I gosh. Mean, I yeah. wish I could just talk on and on, but it was really fun. I love that we sort of went in some different directions that we haven't, that I haven't really gone before. It's just so fun to talk about some different things. And thank you guys for being so, uh, having me and being so generous and for just really thoughtful about the questions. And I, I it was really uh, so much fun. It's such a blast. I'm really good, just tingling going out into the world, like tingling and excited. And it's really, uh, it's a great way to start the day. So, so thanks for having me. And I hope the audience loves it. You guys get a good response from it and all that kind of stuff. And um, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. You. If you have time to plug your stuff before you go, or we'll just plug it in the post. Always. Yeah, please. Yeah. Plug your stuff. Please. <laughs> my, please, please. my book is called uh, the triangle of the scene that's available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. And then the free book, as you said, is available on my, in my Instagram bio. There's a link there. You can get to it. My Instagram is, is what's up with PV P's and Paul V's and Valancourt. What's up with PV. And then also the YouTube channel is called PV improv P's and Paul V's and Valancourt PV improv. And the series that you're talking about a lot or that I talk about a lot is improv tips. There's a lot of really great tips on there. Some for me, some from some great ones. I just published one today from Mick Napier. That is a, it is a banger. It's a great resource. You have to check it out. It's amazing. Thank you guys so much. It's been a real blast and uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Yes, please. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you guys. (sighs) My only regret is that I didn't ask him how to make money at this. Damn it! Truthfully though, what a great time it was to hang out with Paul for an hour. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, please go follow Paul on Instagram at What's Up With PV, and please check out his books and his YouTube page and all of the incredible resources he puts out there. And hey, while you're on the old Instagram, don't forget to give us a follow at Storm Chaser Improv. And you can also check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Storm Chaser Improv. And of course, on our website at www.stormchaserimprov.com. One last thing before you go, if you're enjoying the show, we'd be delighted if you could leave us a five-star review on the old Apple Podcasts. It could be a review like this recent review from Marinati. Marinati gave us five stars and says, great stuff. Thanks, Marinati. I love it. And that's all, folks. Be brave, chase storms, and go jazz. Thank you for listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show.